Take your Bibles and open up to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll continue in Samuel for a while. And uh, today uh, I want to talk with you on the subject of God's will. In fact, for the next several weeks we're going to be talking about how to understand God's will, how to find God's will, discerning God's will. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what I've titled the will of God above all uh, today. And you know, uh, this is a, still a relatively new series, and the underlying theme uh, has been expressed in the statement that God is always working, and because He's always working, God is up to something big. That's just the facts. God is up to something uh, very big. And uh, I want you to stay with me, because when we initially read the text, you might say, how does that relate to the will of God? I think if you'll stay with me to the end, uh, you'll see that. But I want to make a couple of statements right out of the gates this morning that that I want, you to, I want you to think on, and frankly, you know, if you forget everything else I say today, I want you to remember these two statements. You know, a lot of times when you're listening to somebody preach or uh, teach the, the Bible, uh, you may not digest all the content, but a lot of times there'll be one or two things that they say that just really kind of resonates with you. Have you had that experience before? You know, you say, well, I don't remember a lot of the other, but this right here, God got or God captured me with. Well, I don't know if these will be those statements, but there are a couple of statements I want you to get. And here, here they are. Number one, the will of God is the most important thing in the universe. The will of God is the most important thing in the universe. All right? If you forget everything else I say, you need to remember that. That's really true. The will of God is the most important thing in the universe. Here's the second statement. Doing the will of God is the most important thing in your life. Okay? All right, the will of God is the most important thing in the universe. But second, doing the will of God is the most important thing in your life. In fact, you were made by the will of God for the will of God. You were made by the will of God. In other words, God willed that you should exist. If God had not desired for you to exist, you wouldn't be here. You are not the product of chance. You are not the result of amino acids bumping together in some prehistoric protoplasmic soup and being struck by lightning. You are here because God willed for you to be here. And God willed for you to be here because He invites you to be in on His will. Let me give you some proof that God willed for you to be here. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about it. You were created in the mind of God before you were ever created in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. And before, listen, before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. So God willed for you to be here. Psalm 139, verses 13 and following say, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame, listen, 
was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You get it? God says, I created you before you physically came into being, and I created you fearfully and wonderfully uh, with the gifts that you have, with the personality that you have, the makeup that makes you up. All of these things were designed into you before you were ever physically crafted into this world, and it was done by God because you are here on purpose, and that purpose is to carry out the will of God. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about those kinds of things. Now, unfortunately today, there are many, including Christians, who've gotten all of this stuff backwards. They bought into like a false spiritual narrative that has caused them to believe something like this. Well, God kind of exists to carry out my personal plans. It's just not true. God is not a cosmic genie. And by the way, sometimes we hear it coming out of of pulpits that are kind of like, well, you know, God wants you to, to be happy, and God, whatever you want, God wants you to have. And frankly, that's just not biblical, and it's just not true. And we, if we're not careful, because it caters to our flesh, that's what I really would like, we kind of start thinking of God like a cosmic genie that is waiting there for me to say, God, okay, my third wish is that's kind of a false spiritual narrative. Another is that, that uh, uh, God exists to bring me fulfillment. That, and, and I'm entitled to a, a fulfillment. So God kind of, he owes me fulfillment. Now, God will fulfill your life. We'll talk about that in other messages. But it's not that God exist to fulfill your life you and I exist to fulfill the will of God make sense but kind of the narrative uh, in many places today is well well you're entitled to a fulfilled life another kind of false expression of the narrative is well God created you to be happy now I'm all for happiness I want to be happy you know, uh, don't worry, be happy, all of that stuff. You know, I'm all for happiness, and I'm, I'm not suggesting to you God is against happiness. What I am saying to you is that's not the goal line. The goal line is not that you'll be happy. So did you live your life happy? Were you happy when it all? Uh, this is a broken world, and happiness comes and goes. By the way, pursue joy over happiness. But the goal line isn't happiness. At the end of life, the goal isn't say, you know, by and large, I was happy. That's not the goal line. I hope you are. And God's not against happiness, but that's not what God has created you for. Were you happy, Ray? Did I make you happy? See, are, are y'all with me? Uh, Joe Theismann, some of you may know that name. He's an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, was a fantastic quarterback, had a tragic injury on the field that cost him his, the rest of his career. But on one occasion, he was being interviewed for, this was, I think, his third marriage or whatever, but he had had uh, several affairs 
during this marriage, and he was being <laughs> interviewed about his affairs, and he said, so, so why have you, have you been characterized by, you know, multiple affairs? This was his answer. He answered, he says, because God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. Well, look, you, you, it doesn't take spiritual rocket science to know that that is, there's a Greek word for that, stupid. You know, because that's not the goal. That's not the goal line. The goal line is to finish this race. And by the way, Paul uses that analogy and Hebrews uses that analogy to finish it having lived out of the purpose that God puts you here. The Bible says in the book of Acts that David served God in his generation. And I love that statement when I, I really discovered its significance years ago in my life. It means I, I can't serve God for you. That means I can't live out the will of God for you, but I can live out the will of God for me. And it says he served God in his generation. That means he crossed the finish line having, having lived out the purpose. It doesn't mean he was perfect. doesn't mean he me didn't mess up. He did, but he served God out, out of the purpose and plan for his life. And that's why the will of God is the most important thing in the universe. And that's why doing the will of God is the most important thing in your life. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. And today I want to talk out of this story that we've been looking at in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we read our, our passage this morning. Acts, I mean, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning verse 27. The scripture says, And there came a man of God to Eli. Y'all remember who Eli was? We talked about Eli. You know, he's the priest who had the wicked sons, the worthless sons. All right, this is a continuation of the story. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar and to burn incense? to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all of my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house then in distress you will look with envious, eye, uh, with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your household shall die by the sword of men." And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, 
and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I might eat a morsel of bread. Father, take now your word and speak it into our hearts. Teach us, train us, transform us, convict us, challenge and change us, Father, with it. Let us hear it. God, open our spiritual ears, our spiritual hearts, so that we may know what you are saying to your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now again, I refer you back to our, uh, the previous messages in this series where he talked about uh, what's going on here. You remember that there was a, a little boy born during this time, and his name was Samuel. He would become a great leader in Israel. You remember last week we talked about the problems that Eli had. His two sons were worthless. The Bible says they were worthless and uh, that they didn't know God. We talked about uh, all of those kinds of things. And while that is all going on, and while this happens that we just read about, there's a young boy who's growing up, and he's growing up, and the hand of God is upon him. His name is Samuel. Verse 26 points to that. Some other verses in those early chapters point to how God is with him. And he's going to be a game changer. Remember, we talked about that last week, that there was a change coming. Because God was up to something. He always is up to something. He still is. And there's a something coming. There's a change that is coming. Samuel will uh, uh, represent that new thing that God is going to do. And it's going to be according to the will of God. In other words, they had been living outside of the will of God under Eli who was supposed to be helping them understand the will of God. But they've been living outside the will of God under Eli and under the, the influence of his sons. But now all of that is about to change. And God is about to introduce that change to them. And he begins by sending a message to Eli. And this morning I want to show you the next step in what God is doing because it relates to God's, God's will. The first thing I want you to notice is that there is a nameless prophet in verse 27 that shows up. A nameless prophet comes to Eli. Now remember, Eli is the priest. He is the spiritual leader and really is very politically influential in the nation. But he's been allowing wickedness. He has not led the people according to the will of God. And there finally comes a point where God sends a prophet to him with a message from God. But it's a nameless prophet. We don't know who this guy is. We know Samuel will be like a prophet and Samuel is growing, but this isn't Samuel. Samuel's still a little boy. But this is a nameless prophet and he comes to Eli and he's from God. And though we don't know uh, who he is, it really doesn't matter because God knows who he is. And he has a word from God to Eli, uh, in particular Eli, and it relates to Eli's entire family and his future. Now, he's called a man of God. When you encounter a man of God, you ought to listen to what a man of God has to say. And uh, by the way, man of God is the second most used term uh, in the Old Testament to refer to a prophet. And he's called the, the man of God. The first most is a messenger of God. But really, they're interchangeable. Messenger of God, a man of God, and even the prophet in this case. And so he comes with this this uh, message to Eli, and God has sent him there. 
And I, I was thinking as I was studying this, uh, how many times perhaps have uh, men of, uh, of God, people of God have come across our path and we've missed the message that they might be bringing, they might uh, be delivering to us. I wonder how many, I was saying, how many men of God are out there and we don't even know their names, we don't know who they are. It really doesn't matter because God does. You say, yeah, but that's kind of a unique position. I mean, you're talking about a prophet. You're talking about a man of God. But the fact is, did you know all of us are called to be men and women of God? All of us, our life should have a message. And that message may not be used like this. It may not be, thus saith the Lord. I've come to tell you, Chuck, that God has told me. It may not be like that, but it may be the influence you have in your family. The message of your life as a man or a woman of God might be the influence you have in your workplace, in your community, whatever it is, but there's this, and the key is not, do they all know me as a man of God? Do they all know me as a woman of God? The question is, does God know? I love the story in the book of Acts where the the seven sons of Sceva are demon-possessed, and uh, uh, they, uh, they, they see, well, they're not initially, but they see Paul casting out demons and they think that's pretty cool power we want the power they start trying to do that they find a man who is demon possessed they try to cast the demons out of the man and the demons speak y'all know the story and the demons speak to these seven sons of Sceva and they say this it's a great line Paul uh, Jesus we know and Paul we know but who are you by the way the demons don't know everything but who are you? And it says they came out of the demon-possessed man and they jumped on them and they beat them up and stripped, their, stripped them naked and chased them out. But the question for us is, does God know who you are? One of my favorite Bible teachers wrote a book called um, um, Known in Heaven, Feared in Hell. Are you known? Does God know? Are you a man or woman of God? How, how do you... How, how would you know? Well, the way you know if you're a man or woman of God is if are you walking in the will of God. If you're not in the will of God, I can assure you, you're not a man of God. If you're not in the will of God, you're not a woman of God. The will of God is the distinguishing mark. And so there's this, there's this nameless prophet, and he shows up. Uh, and he shows up because Eli had neglected his position. Eli and his sons had abused the role that God had created them for. Eli and his sons were not in the will of God. And the message that this prophet brings informs Eli about his past. Did you notice in verse 27, he starts off, he starts telling Eli, he says, you know, as far back as Egypt, I set this in motion. I singled out your family lineage And I set that lineage apart with a task, with a responsibility. They were to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. And he's reminding him, he's informing him, this is what I did. I I called you out with this task. In other words, that's what I created you for. The fact is, you say, yeah, once again, but that's kind of that priestly thing, that preacher thing, that prophet thing. I want to tell you something. Just like the prophet Jeremiah, before he formed you in the womb, he had designated your design, Psalm 139, 
He had designated your design and, he, and your destiny. I'm going to talk about those in other messages to come. But He had set you apart. Everybody in here and everybody that is listening to me or watching by live stream, television, or, or hearing on radio, I want to tell you something. God has created you by His will for His will. Every one of us. You don't have to be Eli, but there is a calling. There is a distinct reason why God created you. And so Eli was not living according to that. So God sends this messenger. The messenger says, I want to inform you. I want to remind you of your past. And then he informs him of his privilege in verse 28. He, look at verse 28. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar? What a privilege. To burn incense, what a privilege. To wear the ephod before me, what a privilege. I gave to the house of your father all the offerings by fire from the people of Israel. What a privilege. He's talking to him about, do you not understand that who you are is because of what I did? And then he informs him, though, of his problem. Verse 29 why then do you scorn my sacrifice, my offerings? You remember we talked about that last week, what the, his sons were doing with uh, the offerings and how they were taking the best for themselves and their father instead of giving the best to God. And he, so he informs him of his problem. His problem essentially was, he says in the text that we read, was that he had elevated his sons and their sins above the will of God. That's why the message is titled, The Will of God Above All. But instead, Eli wasn't living in the will of God, and he elevated the, his own sons above the commands and the will of God. So that's his problem. And so here comes this no-name prophet from God with a message for him. And this whole passage we're reading is the message. And then second thing I want you to notice that the man of God delivers a new promise. The new promise is seen in verse 30, where he, first of all, he talks about the, the initial promise, the first promise. It was God's intended will, God's intended plan. It required a response, but it didn't, but Eli and them didn't respond as they were created to respond. They defied the promise. So God says here, God shows up, he says, I created you, I created your lineage and the generations leading up to you for the purpose of serving me and living in my will, but, but Eli, you haven't done it. I mean, that's a short version. You, you haven't done that. And I told you, and I told your lineage, that if you would do that, you would always have a servant with the privileges that only the priestly servant could have of coming and going before my house and before my people. But he says, but now, because you didn't keep your side of the promise, I'm changing that. You say, I didn't think God changes his promise. Well, hang on just a second. There are promises that God just grants out of pure grace. But if you'll go study the promises of God's Word, what you will discover is that almost always when God makes a promise, it's like a covenant. It's a, you know what a covenant is or a contract. If, if you will do this, then I will do this. 
In other words, I promise you, and he's always good to keep his side of the promise, but if you don't do this, there's no guarantee that I'm going to do what I told you I would do. I told you what I would do if you would do your part. Are are y'all tracking with me? And so that's the problem. Eli had not done what he was supposed to do. Why? Because he had abandoned the will of God. The will of God is related to why you're here, why you are created. And so he had abandoned that. And so God says, I'm going to change the promise. There is a promise coming, but you're not going to like it. We'll look at that in just a moment. But I do remind you of this, that promises create a responsibility. In the kingdom of God, when God makes a promise to you, look at the promise, hold the promise, but make sure you see what is required of me. What is the response that I need to offer to God in order for the promise to be reality in my life. A lot of folks today, they want all the benefits of the kingdom, but none of the responsibilities that go with it. And so, and, and so because of that, that's what's going on here. Uh, God at a certain point in time said, enough. All these generations, and most of them have obeyed, but, that, but Eli had not. He was not uh, responding properly to the promises of God. So God says, we're going to change the whole deal. Because promises not only almost, uh, not all, uh, only demand a response, they also uh, offer a reward, don't they? And by the way, the reward, a reward can be a good reward or a bad reward. In this case, the messenger comes and says, I've got to tell you something, you're not going to like it. I've got a message from God, and it's about the fact that you haven't kept the promise, you haven't lived in the will of God, and consequently, there is a consequential reward. And he tells them, you know, the stuff we'll look at here in uh, just a second. But, but, but what I would remind you of is, in his case, it resulted in a couple of things. It affected, it affected his future. Did you get the fact that it says, God says, I'm going to cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house forever? Did you notice the word forever? This has all been a part of the promise, but because you have not responded to the promise, I'm going to change that and I'm going to cut off. Your, your house has been strength, uh, strong. Why? Because of me. And I'm going to cut all that off. I'm going to change that. And, and there aren't going to be any, look, look, it's, your house is going to lose its impact. So it would affect his future and his family's future. Listen, I want, I want to mention something to you here. I, I, I'll, I'll try not to camp here, but I just want to say something. The Bible teaches that we can pass blessing or curse on to those who come behind us. We can pa- pa- pass a blessing or a curse along. And, uh, and I don't have time to talk about the fact that people say, well, if I'm living under the curse of past generations, can that be broken? The answer is in Christ, yes. It, by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. That's a whole nother topic, subject, and that sort of stuff. I had a man come to me after the first service, and he said, Pastor, I need to talk. He said, I, I, I think maybe I'm living under a family curse. And he said, is there any hope for me? He was scared. I said, yes. I said, don't let the devil tell you that there's no hope. And I talked to him about 
uh, what has to happen in order for the, to break that. It can be broken. So if you feel like, man, my family has been cursed from generation to generation to generation, and the Bible talks about that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, it says this, it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen, visiting, that's part of the Ten Commandments, by the way. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Wow. Now, if you say, well, I think maybe that's me. Listen, the the hope is in Christ, in in the indwelling spirit. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You've got to learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in the power of your flesh. The curse affects the flesh. The curse can't control the Holy Spirit. But it affected his future. And because it affected his future, it affected his family. Did you catch the part where it says there will not be an old man in your house? There will not be an old man in your house. He said the only person I will allow, uh, I will allow some people to, to live longer only so they can see the prosperity that I bring to those who have followed my will in, in the nation. I will let, I'll let somebody from your generation live, or perhaps multiples live, so they can weep their eyes out at what they missed. Wow. You think God takes his will seriously, class? That was three people. If you think God takes his will seriously, say amen. He does, doesn't he? And that's what we see playing out right before us here. It is a reminder to us that God's will for our lives can bring either blessing or curse. I told my wife this. I think I've meant, referenced it a few times over the last two decades in messages. But I've had this thing, and I, I, I only mention it occasionally, but I have this thing in me, a, a passionate, that... That I want to be a man of God so that it will be passed on to my family. And, and I don't know, if Jesus doesn't return, and it looks like he's getting a whole lot closer, but if, if he doesn't return and there are generations and generations and generations that follow behind us, my great desire is that somewhere down the road, two or three generations, maybe some Somebody will say, why do you think God has been good to our family? And maybe somebody would just say, I don't know, but I think it was because of our great, great, great grandfather, Ray, that maybe God passed it on, passed on. We see it demonstrated, by the way, with David and Solomon and Mephibosheth and some of these. We see that very thing. Maybe, just maybe, and you say, well, that you're the that should be true of all of us. I want to live in the will of God so that it would bring blessing. And I don't mean material blessing. That may happen in the course. But I mean the favor of God so that that can be passed on to the kids and to the greatest grandchildren in the world, mine. And to their kids and their kids. There's a great song, Bradley, the song. Have, you've heard the blessing song. Have you heard that song? It's based out of Deuteronomy, by the way. I think Elevation does it. It's an incredible song. Have we ever sung that song, the blessing? We ought to sing that song, the blessing. You go, you go listen to this song. You find this song. You look this song up called The Blessing. It's based out of Deuteronomy. It's by Elevation, I think, is who does it. 
Carrie Job, I think, uh, does it, and it is incredible. And it talks about from generation to generation to generation. I sent it to my daughter. Uh, I said, sweetheart, this is my prayer. I sent it to her, and she sends me back and said, Daddy, I can't stop crying when I watch it. And she said, I listen to it every day to remind me. Pass the blessing on. Pass the blessing on. Pass the blessing. I believe you can do it. Well, I didn't mean to spend that much time there, okay? Y'all cause that. (laughs) Third, I want you to notice this nefarious prophecy. Verses 31 to 34. So the prophet tells them what? He says, look, there's not going to be anybody. Your your lineage is not going to prosper. You're not going to live long. And then this prophecy finally comes to a culmination in verse uh, 34 where he says, uh, uh, and both of your sons are going to die on the same day. How would you like to get that message? And both of your sons. This is all the consequence of Eli not walking in the will of God. In the role that he had been created for. And that's kind of chilling, isn't that? That's a chilling prophecy, but it's intended to show And for us, it is a lesson to remind us that there are consequences to living outside of the will of God. Because all of us have been created by the will of God for the will of God. And because there is nothing more important in the universe than the will of God. And that you would live the will of God. And whoever, as James said, knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. And, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, we're saved by grace. Thank God we're saved by grace. And I'm grateful. I thank God I am saved by grace. I know the law wouldn't get it. I I know I'm a lawbreaker, a biblical lawbreaker. And you are too. So we thank God for grace, right? But grace is not an excuse to purposely live outside of the will of God. Grace is not an excuse to purposely live in sin. The writer of Hebrews said, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. And by the way, There's no better illustration of that passage than Eli and his sons. So, there's this prophecy and the principle that there are consequences. And we have to take those consequences very seriously. They can be blessing or curse. Notice that he said in verse 30, uh, 30, For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed, to put it mildly. And then there's a fourth thing that I want you to see this morning, and that is I want you to see the new priest, okay? Verse 35, look at verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Now, this most likely directly referred to Zadok, who would be a godly priest, and he would serve under the reign of David, his anointed, God's anointed. But why is this new priest uh, so important? Well, he tells us why. Because the new priest would be instrumental in leading under the will of God. And, And subsequently, he would lead the people of God in the will of God. 
This new faithful priest would do two things, he said. Number one, he would do all that is in God's heart. Did you see that? He will do according to what is in my heart. What is that? That's the passion of God. And the question to be answered is not, what am I passionate about? We confuse that. Well, what do you follow your passion? The real question is not what we're passionate about. God does give us, and I'll talk about this in uh, other messages in this series about the will of God. Our passions do have an impact, but not what he's talking about. Our, our goal is not to follow our passions. Our goal is to find out what God is passionate about and to pursue what God is passionate about. And by the way, that's the first, first part of, of living in the will of God, is you find out what is God passionate about, what's in the heart of God, and I want to know what that is so I can be passionate about the things that God... I want God's passion to become my passion. All right? And so he said, this new priest, listen, he's going to lead the people. This will be... He'll lead them... Uh, in my ways, in my will, because he'll, he will do all that's in God's heart. And the second thing he says, he'll do all that's in God's mind. Now, the first is about God's passion. This is about God's plan. He'll do all that's in my mind. Do you know you are created for the plan of God? God wasn't created for your plans. You're created for the plan of God. God has this great, eternal, uh, sovereign plan, and it is going to happen. But the question is, are you going to be in on it? Now, when God created you, He created you the way you are. Again, another message. He created you the way you are, your personality, desires, gifts, all of that kind of stuff, on purpose, but for the role that you play in the big eternal plan, right? And when He did that, listen, He was, he was, he was offering you this invitation. I put you here. I designed you the way you are. Be who you are and uh, uh, seek me. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. That's how you know what God is passionate about, by the way. And then here's what, here's what, then you can get on board with what I'm doing or you can reject that. You can walk in your own ways. You can elevate your own ways. And you can miss out what I have created you for. So, so this big plan. See, he, he's created this big plan. He wants you in on it. And he created you so you could take part in it. That's an act of love. So he invites you in on his big plans. It's kind of like this. When you have small children, <clears throat> there will be times or events or things going on in your life and you know they need to see this or they need to experience this you've been there right I want them to experience this because they don't know but as a parent or a grandparent you know you think man I want them to I, I want them to to capture this right what are you doing you're doing it because you love them you're doing it because you know that if you don't invite them in on this they will miss it most likely and you don't want them to, admit, to miss that thing. Well, God loves us, and it's kind of the same thing he's saying. I want you in on this, because if you don't get in on this, you're going to miss something really, really significant eternally. And I don't want you. I love you so much. I want you to. But you and I can resist, and we can, we can say, no, I got, I got my own plans. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, so God says... 
that this new prophet is going to do the plans that God has. He has his plan. God has invited us in. He's going to lead the people to walk in the will of God so they can experience and do their part in this big plan. And you and I can too, because God is working. He's always working, and he's up to something big, and that's what he's saying to us. Look, I know the plan. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your success, plans to give you a hope and a future. But you got to trust me, and you got to walk with me, okay? The bottom line for your life and for my life is that God's will trumps everything. Everything. In fact, say it with me. God's will trumps everything. Let's do it again. God's will trumps everything. Y'all believe that? God's will trumps everything. Elizabeth Elliot, I don't know if you know who Elizabeth Elliot is. She, she was the wife of Jim Elliot who was killed trying to reach the Aka Indians in Peru or Ecuador. And uh, uh, she became a wonderful missionary and um, a, a godly uh, uh, influencer and she wrote many books and in, in some of her writings she said this, God is God. Because He is God, listen, He is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere, listen to this, but in God's holy will. A will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what He is up to. So I don't know what He's up to. I just know He's up to something is what she says. And she says, the place where I find rest is being in that plan. Wherever that plan is going, wherever it is leading, that's the place that I will find rest. You know, a lot of people are tired. A lot of people are physically tired. A lot of people are emotionally drained. A lot of people are spiritually bankrupt. And I believe a lot of it is because we haven't learned to rest in living in the will of God. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened down and and take my yoke upon you and I will give rest to your soul what is he talking about he says come get in on my way get in into my will and I will bring you rest so in closing I think this passage teaches us three things that we need to grasp about the will of God. Here they are, many more for sure, but three things that I want to leave you with. Number one, I want to leave you with the fact that the will of God is declared in the Word of God. It was a prophet, a man of God that brought a message of God to Eli. Now his message wasn't that great for Eli, but it is a reminder that it is the Word of God that brings us the will of God. And that's why you need to stay in the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a lamp unto, uh, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You need to stay in the Word of God. Why? Because you're going to find the will of God. People say, how do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God? One of the ways, and I'm going to talk about discerning the will of God in another message, but one of the ways we know the will of God is we stay in the Word of God. And we have this luxury of having the Scriptures. They had the law. But we have the luxury of these, uh, an expanded kind of scripture uh, to help us. And the Spirit of God, the author of the, the Word of God to help us. If you want to know the will of God, it is declared in the Word of God. I, I heard about a humorous story about a, a man who was a part of a, 
uh, church of a different denomination, but it was not uncommon for people in that, in that uh, denominational church to stand up if they felt like they had a word from God, to stand up and declare the word uh, that they have received from God. And on this particular Sunday, a man stood up and boldly he declared, Thus saith the Lord, even as I was with Abraham when he led the children of Israel through the wilderness, so I will be with you. And he sat down. And his wife nudged him. She whispered something to him. And then he quickly stands back up and says, Thus saith the Lord, I was mistaken. It was Moses. Well, it is a bit humorous, but the fact is God never is mistaken in in His Word. He never is mistaken. And what God reveals in His Word is always consistent with His will for our life. And that's why the will of God will be declared in His Word. He'll never instruct you in something that is inconsistent with His Word. Number two, the will of God will keep you in the way of God. It'll keep you in the path of God. George Truitt, who pastored the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, for over 40 years said this, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge we can have, but to do the will of God is the greatest achievement of our lives. And so the will of God will keep you in the way of God. What do I mean? I mean boundaries are essential, right? We've got to have boundaries. If you don't have boundaries, everything collapses. It becomes like in the day of the judges where the scripture says, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's what you're living with now. And the reason you're seeing the collapse of a culture is because it no longer has any boundaries. And the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, if a foundation cracks and crumbles, then the house is coming down or the building's coming down too. But the, the Word of God declares the will of God, and when we know the, uh, uh, the will of God, we understand that it will keep us in the way of God. It forms boundaries for our life. Now, we may bump up against them, but if we're going to stay in the will of God, we stay in the boundaries. And, uh, and we don't redefine the boundaries to fit what we want to be the will of God. All right? And then I would say to you, Last, the will of God will accomplish the work of God. All right, so the Word of God declares it, and then the will of God forms the boundaries, and then when we operate in the boundaries that God has established, guess what? We accomplish the big work of God. God's up to something big, and then we're a part of it. We get to be a part of it. We get to accomplish the work of God. And Jesus told us, uh, in John 6, 38, he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's Jesus saying, look, look, I know, I know what the will is, and I know that's my, uh, that's my responsibility. I've come down from heaven to do the will of the Father. I didn't come down from heaven to do my will. I came down to do his will. Do you remember when Jesus met up with a woman at the well in John chapter 4? And he, his disciples were going back into town to get food. They were worried about physical food, physical food, physical food. We need to eat. We need to eat. That's how we know the disciples were Baptist. And so they went off. But before they did, Jesus told them something. They didn't get it at that moment. But he said, my, my, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. You, 
that's what feeds my soul. That's what he said. That's what feeds me. You remember when Jesus prayed in the garden? He prayed, Lord, if there's a better way, another way, if you can make this pass, Lord, make it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, the will of God will accomplish the work of God. Somebody said this. They said, if God planned you before the world began, and we know He did, right? We read the passages in the Bible that remind us of that. If God planned you before the world began, do you think He would make it hard for you to discover His will? Some people think that the will of God is like an invisible door and you've got to find which one to open because God is standing behind one of them and if you walk past it, God will say, huh, you missed it, tough luck. But that's not, that's not it at all. God wants you to live in His will. God wants you to know His will. And the problem for Eli was that somewhere along the way, people, He did what many have done today. Somewhere along the way, he stepped out of the will of God. And in his case, he never returned to it. And I think the sad part of it all is that he had lived so long out of the will of God that he began to think that was the norm. Uh, This is just normal. This is, you know, this is how we've done it for years and years. And as we talked last week, he went through a lot of religious motions and everything. And maybe he even got to the point where he confused his religious motions with living in the will of God. But it's a sad commentary that this had become the norm for him and he no longer heard from God. And the problem with many people that confess Christ today is that they're living outside of the will of God. They may not have always been there, but at some point they stepped out of the will of God and they've lived out of the will of God for so long that they've come to believe that it's just normal you say well pastor how does a person know well I can tell you one of the ways they know is that sin no longer shakes them they're not bothered by their sin oh they may acknowledge yeah that's sin well you know it's just there And they no longer repent. They are no longer shaken or they're no longer bothered by by their sin. Listen, if that's where you are, you're outside the will of God. You can't walk in the will of God and ignore sin. Secondly, a person can know by the fact that the voice of God in their hearts is rare. They they rarely hear from God. They they rarely... uh, Uh, sense his presence in in his leading do you remember in the first part of this book the scripture said in in first samuel the scripture says in those days the word of the lord was rare why because people had were so outside of the will of god they couldn't hear him wasn't that god couldn't speak because we know he did because he spoke to samuel but in those days the word of the lord was rare it was rare because nobody Everybody was so, so out of the will of God. Nobody any longer had any sensitivity to what God was saying. And you know, Eli, you, you know the story when Samuel got called from God. You know the story quickly. Samuel 
Here's in the night, he's a young boy. He's serving in, in the, the, the tabernacle, and he's there, and he hears a voice calling to him, and he gets up. He thinks it's Eli, the priest, and he goes to Eli. If anybody should know what the, the voice is, wouldn't it be Eli? And he says, you called, uh, Father? And he said, nope, wasn't me. Go back to sleep, son. Eli goes back. It happens again. He comes back. I mean, uh, Samuel goes to sleep. He comes back to Eli. He said, you called? I heard you call again. He said, no, son. He said, wasn't me. Go back to sleep. Happens again. And Samuel goes. And finally, Eli gets it. Oh, this has to be the voice of God. And he says to him, he says, it's God. Go back, and if he calls to you again, you say to him, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And it happens again, and then God has this calling and conversation with Samuel. And um, the next day, uh, Eli wants to know what God told Samuel. And here's the thing, as I was working on the message, I thought, isn't it odd that this this grown man who represented the spiritual condition of the nation has to ask a little boy, what did God say? What did God say? You know why? Eli had been out of the will of God for so long, he no longer could hear the voice of God. And the fact is, God probably just stopped speaking to him. You want to know? Are you outside the world? Have, have you lost the voice of God? Have you lost the ability to hear God when He speaks through His Word in your life and when He shows up in your life? Or then third, have the things of the world taken priority over the things of God? If they have, then you're out of the will of God. You say, well, that's pretty strong. Well, it's just pretty biblical. I mean, if you want to know, are you in the will of God or not, ask yourself, have the things of the world so captured me that they're pulling at me? And by the way, the will of God is God's agenda. Did you know the devil has an agenda for you too? The thief, Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, a thief has come to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. That's his agenda for your life. So yeah, he tugs too. And, and which, which, whichever tug you follow is going to set a course for your life. And if, you, if, if the tug of the world, because he's the prince and power of this world, the Bible says, if that becomes greater than the tug and the pull of the Spirit of God, guess what? You're going to end up outside of the will of God. That's how you can know. Sin no longer shakes you. You, you. you have trouble hearing the voice of God or sensing God in the reality of God. Or the things of this world have become far more significant to you than the things of the kingdom of God. Vance Havner said this. He said, most Christians live such subnormal lives that if they ever began to live the normal Christian life, most people around would think they were abnormal. I think he's probably right. God help us that that not be us. Amen? Lord Jesus, uh, we want to walk in your will. Don't let us be like Eli, 
who no longer have the capacity to connect with you, hear your voice because we've been out of your will and we, we refuse to step back in. Lord, if there's sin that we need to deal with, Father, deal with us on our sin. Uh, Father, restore us, uh, Lord, so that we can walk in your will afresh. Lord, for any that are under the sound of my voice today that do not know you, I pray that, Lord, this would be the day that they connect with you. That they'd call on you, just as you said in your word, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let them call out to you right now. Lord Jesus, save me, a sinner. Thank you for loving me. I want to live in your will. For those, Father, who have lost connection with you, that that at some point in time they were walking with you and walking in your will but have been pulled aside, pulled away. The things of the world have become more powerful than the things of the kingdom. Lord, would you speak into their hearts? Would you call them back alongside of you? Father, I pray that you'll speak even now into our hearts. Before we're gone, Lord, Don't let the devil make us anxious about leaving. But God, right now, may your Holy Spirit make us anxious about getting our lives right with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? And I will be at the front. Staff members will be on the sides as as always. You know, maybe there's a decision for you to make this morning. There are lots of ways you can make decisions. You can use the tear-off panel that's on your worship folder and drop it in the the baskets on the way out, and we'll follow up. We'll we'll take care of that. You can use a QR code that, and those of you who are joining us by live stream and television, you can. Uh, there's information on your screen of how to make decisions for Christ. We want you to be able to make decisions. But I also want to invite you, if you're in this live audience, to come publicly and make your decision. Jesus called people publicly. And that's why we never back off of calling people to a public commitment. Maybe today you called on Him to be your Savior. Maybe today you have said, you know what, I've been out of the will of God. Enough of that. I'm going to get back in line with the will of God. Maybe you want to just come and kneel around this altar and use it. You're praying for someone. Maybe there's something you need to talk to God about. Maybe there's something, a decision. I I don't know whatever it is, but you need to seek the face of God. And I invite you to come and use this altar. Maybe, Maybe you need a church home. Those watching or those in this, you need a church family. You do if you don't have one and you'd like to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. We'd love to have you. Whatever the decision is, this is that moment. Don't miss it. Are you ready? As Bradley leads us, you slip out. Balcony, ground floor, you slip out. We're here to receive you. You come on.